0: Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am your host, Emmy Kirshner. On today's episode, I have Andrew Walton, who is renowned for his ability to produce windfall income, install new profit centers, and maximize the value of client relationships. He does this by identifying and tapping the overlooked opportunities and underperforming activities that most business owners don't even realize they have immediately available to him. And what makes Andrew so unique is that he helps his clients and has scaled his business while he's living the ultimate laptop lifestyle and lives in a different country every year. In this episode, Andrew shares the strategies for how he's made that all possible without burning out. My name is Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur and investor. The one thing that I get asked all the time is, how do you achieve success in business and make an impact? In each episode of the Tribe of Leaders podcast, you'll hear from entrepreneurs and visionaries who share how their leadership has changed not only their lives, but the lives of everybody around them. Hey, could you do me a quick favor? Take a screenshot of this podcast episode right now and post it on your Instagram and tag me and anybody else who you think could benefit from it, especially if you've been finding value. I'm so grateful for you listening. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. Super excited to have you on. And I think you are my first guest to be uh, recording with me from, um, you know, a different, you know, a different country. So share with us who you are, where you're at right now, and um, one thing that people don't know about you.
1: Brilliant. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Emmy. It's, it's absolutely an honor to be here. And how cool that I get to be the first, I guess, international or overseas uh, guest. Yeah. So, so thank you for that. You're um, welcome. So uh, I'll actually start with the basics. I'm Canadian. I'm currently in mm-hmm. Armenia, which for mm-hmm. those of you who don't have a globe in front of you is basically south of Russia, sort of close to Turkey, that sort of, that sort of area of the globe. Um, One thing that a lot of people, I guess, don't know about me, uh, actually, I'll start with something people do know about me. Most people know me for writing copy. Uh, The thing Mm -hmm. that people don't know about me is that I don't really consider myself a copywriter. I consider myself an investor who happens to write copy. So uh, I guess the other thing, the the third part to your question would be what people need to know about me Well, I run a performance-based marketing agency. Everything I do is on performance. If someone gets results, Uh, then we get paid. If not, then, then not. So that's sort of the the 30,000 foot view.
0: I love it. I love it. So let's, let's dive down to like five to 10,000 feet. And um, how do you create performance for business owners and entrepreneurs?
1: Okay. So there are really two or three areas that I look at, obviously with my background as a copywriter, I'm often looking for underutilized assets. So that might be a big list of buyers or big list of subscribers that haven't been monetized uh, to the fullest extent that they can. Uh, mm-hmm. It might be taking someone who has a front end product but no back end or the the uh, inverse scenario where someone has a really great higher ticket program, but no front end and building out an additional profit center or additional uh, offer or number of offers Around that. So it really depends. Obviously, there are so many things that most businesses need, right? So it's totally on a case-by-case basis, it's totally bespoke. Uh, but usually I'm looking for some existing assets in that business that aren't capitalized on to their fullest potential. That's the real mm-hmm. thing that I'm looking for.
0: So very cool. I love it. And who do you love to work with the most?
1: Oh, great question. So the, the people that I like to work with the most are people or businesses. Uh, usually it's people who are established, so they've built something before. I'm not coaching them or consulting them through the process of what product market fit is and how to get a client, stuff like this. So it's someone who already has the vision of the value they want to bring to the world. They have, uh, they have some validation for that idea. They've gotten some sales but they're really struggling to grow. And usually th- these are going to be people uh, who are selling some sort of information or transformational training program or something like mm-hmm. that. But it's an info product, consulting, uh, sometimes done for you services where they're building out uh, a consulting arm to that business or an info product arm to that business. I don't really do a lot in e-commerce, uh, physical product. Uh, I have in okay. the past, but it's not really my focus right now. So it's all okay. about, all about the, the, the information space or educational space, you could
0: say. Right, right. So somebody who had like an online course or um, coaching potentially or a membership site or something like that.
1: Exactly. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Just at the end, towards the end of 2019, I was working with Joel Irway who runs the webinar agency and putting together a webinar for uh, for the course that he wanted to come out. He has this really interesting process that he calls his, his mini webinar funnel. And he's been selling this as a high ticket done for you service. He's done some consulting around it, but, and he wanted to launch uh, an actual course around it so he could reach more people. Because obviously not anyone, not anyone can spend multiple five figures on getting a done for you webinar funnel, right? So he was missing this one piece from his business. And we collaborated, to put that together, and we got that launched towards the end of last year. So that's a specific example of something that that I might do, even though, to be honest, webinars aren't the thing that I am focusing on right now. In that case, it was the absolute appropriate tool for that specific scenario.
0: Awesome. Awesome. How did you, I'm going to say, fall into this? Because I don't think anybody (laughs) grows up and is like, let me write, copy, and create performance based um, business.
1: That's something I, I think that evolves. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you could have picked a better way of phrasing that than fall into it because that's almost exactly the way it happened. Uh, way back in 2010, I had dropped out of school. I was studying jazz guitar at university. I'd suffered an arm injury, so I wasn't able to play anymore. And I had to figure out something to do. And okay. I read the four-hour work week. I read some other books on business and marketing mm-hmm. and was like, okay, I'm going to try this online thing. and just by random luck, one of the things that I was dis- that I discovered was writing articles on the internet. It's like, oh, okay, you can write articles online, put Google ads, uh, AdSense ads on them, and if people click your ads, then you can make money from that. And that's the very first thing that I did uh, online that actually made some money. And it wasn't a scalable business model. It wasn't a sustainable business model because I was essentially using sort of cheap Google arbitrage tricks to get traffic, and it, it wasn't... It wasn't something that was truly adding value to the marketplace, but it was something that I was able to do to make some money and figure figure out that this thing, this online thing is legit and actually can work. And it wasn't until a couple of years later that I actually transitioned from writing like SEO type articles and content type articles to direct response. And that really also came about randomly. I was on Upwork and other freelancing sites. I think it was Odesk at the time. And mm-hmm. I was just struggling to find clients. I hadn't figured out that whole, how do you find a client? If you have to go out today because you need to pay a bill, how do you go out and get someone to pay you money for the thing you do best? I hadn't figured that out. So I was just looking at all the random random writing-related jobs out there, and someone wanted the sales page written. So I wrote my first sales page, I think it was for $30, back in like 2013, 2014 sort of thing. Oh, wow. And from that point on... <laughs> I got into the direct response thing and now obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but I've charged hundreds of times that, and, mm-hmm. and things have grown since then. And it, it just happened to be a perfect combination of the right, me having the right skill set at the right time, finding the right opportunity and everything lined up in a way that once I got that positive feedback from that, from that client and I figured that, oh, this is really easy to sell because I can give them the thing and they can see a result from it. So it's obviously worth X dollars. In this case, unlike an SEO article, which is like maybe it works in after three months or six months, maybe it doesn't, and pricing that uh, was, was really difficult. So it was just taking the path of least resistance at the end of the day, but doing it in a way where it really complemented my skills and interests,
0: of course. I love it. And so you've taken that and grown a huge business, and now you work with like some of the top players in varying fields.
1: I, yeah, you could say that. I mean, I've been really, I think, blessed and lucky and honored. Obviously, I have a certain degree of competence and skill in mm-hmm. my field, but uh, it's it's an absolute joy and pleasure and honor to be able to work with people like Joel and with with Neil Patel and with Arnie Giske and and some of the others that I've had the opportunity. Stephen Larson, uh, mm-hmm. who, who used to be Russell's number two guy, uh, yeah. lots of lots of different people in the online space. I've had the opportunity to work with uh, startups that have gone from and just over a million or several million dollars to the tens and multiple tens of millions of dollars. And it's just being, and I can't take credit for that, but uh, it's been such a wonderful experience to be able to see inside so many successful businesses and to contribute something meaningful to them. Both of those things mm-hmm. the opportunity to learn and the opportunity to contribute something that I love doing, that I'm reasonably good at, and that where you can absolutely see a result at the end of the day of the work that you've done. Uh, I wouldn't change it, wouldn't change it for the world. It's it's absolutely amazing.
0: That's incredible. So I'm curious, too, because you said that you work on a performance basis. Why and is, why does that work for you? And, and what's the benefit um, of operating on a performance basis?
1: Oh, love the question. So uh, to be perfectly honest, at first it didn't work. <laughs> uh, I, failed, <laughs> I, 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 I failed at it for about a year. Or, okay. somewhere somewhere between six and 12 months, I don't know exactly, in large part because I wasn't very good at selecting my client. As as you can imagine, say you're charging, it doesn't really matter what the number is, but I'll throw numbers out there. Say you're charging $5,000 for a sales page. Then in Mm. principle, it doesn't really matter if you're selling that to someone who can get $25,000 worth of value out of that page or $25 million worth of value out of that page because it's the same $5,000 to you. So- I was used to taking whatever project would come across my desk where I felt confident that I could get the client a result and have them happy about making that investment with me. But I didn't have to go any deeper than that. So Mm -hmm. as a result, I was sort of stuck in this loop of that, that a lot of service providers get into where you have clients one day and projects are coming in and money's coming in and everything's groovy and gravy and, and you're happy. And then all your projects end, and you have to go out and find more projects, or maybe you weren't getting referrals this month, or maybe you were slacking off on social media, or whatever it was, sending emails, whatever your, your pipeline, however you fill your pipeline, and you're going on this roller coaster, right? And I was really, right. really tired of that. <laughs> been doing that for years, and while I'd have, uh, I really had no reason to complain, I was just getting tired, because working, whatever, 40, 60, sometimes 80 hours a week, it, mm-hmm. it wears you down. So it's like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I decided, okay, well, if I decide to work on performance and I get a percentage of the results that I produce, then it makes sense that over time, I'm going to build up essentially a portfolio of assets that I didn't have to build from the ground up because people have already spent millions or tens of millions of dollars investing in their businesses, proving something works, building an audience, building an email list and all that wonderful stuff, right? So I can tap into that, make something work better I can take all the risk. It makes it really easy to sell and say, if this works, great, pay me. If it doesn't, no worry, no risk in your part. All right, I'll mm-hmm. risk my time, I'll risk my energy, I'll I'll risk to a certain extent my reputation uh, and take that on. But again, I I wasn't extremely proficient at doing that because I was choosing projects that they get some results, but getting five percent or ten or twenty percent of a small number is still a small is a much smaller number, right? Right. So I had to learn. To, to identify and to identify opportunities where if I performed, it would justify my time investment. And it took me probably almost a year to do that where it was to the point where now there's no way I'd go back. Like the, the, the <laughs> income I'm able to make from performance-based work, I could never, there would be no physical way for me to do it because there's only 24 hours in the day. And whether you're, you're getting paid Per hour or per project, you're either spending, t- it's either time or it's like a commodity result. There's a physical limit to how much you can do. Whereas right. on performance, it's strictly the the cap to your income is the value that you can create, create in the marketplace. So mm-hmm. um, I think that, that anyone who really wants to, I don't recommend making a jump from one to the other, but if someone's currently doing uh, project-based work or trading hours for dollars, consulting or coaching or something like this finding something in their business model that's measurable, tangible, that everyone can objectively verify this is a result that we got and seeing about incorporating into that that into their business model. Uh, I think that, that that could be very valuable to a lot of people. But again, jumping right into it, very dangerous. I wouldn't go that route, but uh, right, it's, right. it's an interesting model. And again, now that I've done it, I would not, absolutely would not go back.
0: That's really cool. And I would think as well that it gives you um, the opportunity to really connect like more deeply with your clients and get to know them potentially in a way that you wouldn't if it was just on a project basis because the drive there to help them succeed in a massive scale is there.
1: Absolutely. That's a really good point actually. It really, It really ensures that both parties are sitting on the same side of the table and they're working mm-hmm. together and they both have at least if, if you're qualifying, uh, you should make sure that your your partner, because it's a partner at that point, not a client, right, that they have mm-hmm. the same long-term vision, that it, they may or may not have an exit strategy, but they have uh, a two or three and five-year vision for what they want their business to do. And they're not just thinking about a promotion to make money today. Uh, that's right. absolutely critical. And that's actually one of the mistakes that I made is I was looking at businesses like, okay, where's the cash windfall, not looking at the longer not looking at the longer game and therefore essentially having project-based work, but only I was getting paid 60 or 90 days out. <laughs> so, right. So that was a, a really big lesson, but you're absolutely right. The, the, at this point, I have fewer clients, but much deeper relationships with each of those clients. And I consider most of them friends while I do keep things professional. Like right. I really like these people. I would, I would be thrilled to sit down and have dinner with them if we were on the same continent, that sort of thing. <laughs>
0: And I'm sure that you will be at some point. So, (laughs) Uh, absolutely. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit, and you know, when you and I talked earlier, we talked about how you're living um, in different parts of the world, and I think it was for six months to a year at a time. Would you share with everybody um, kind of how your or what your life looks like right now?
1: Oh yeah, sure. So. Um, great that you're asking this question now because a year ago it was uh, a, a little bit chaotic because my wife and I were in Mexico and we had all our bank cards blocked and we, <laughs> we were struggling to get cash <laughs> in our hands. Right. Um, but, but as you, as you alluded to, right now my, my wife and I, or for the past five, six years, six years since we've met, uh, mm-hmm. we would essentially spend one year in different countries. So she's from Russia. We spent a year in Russia. We spent almost a year in China. Uh, we spent a year, a little more than a year in Mexico, and and now we're in the Republic of Georgia. So we're visiting next door, Armenia, uh, at this precise moment. And really, the way our life works is we choose a home base, usually someplace that's really easy to beat. So we don't have to do a lot of get a lot of visas, do a lot of documentation. Uh, we like ease. We like to be able to pick up and move. We like to be able. Uh, not deal with a bunch of red tape and bureaucracy. We like it to be, unlike in Mexico, for it to be easy for us to get the money that we actually earn. Um, so, so then we have that home base and then we travel out from that home base. So now is a perfect example, spending a week in the new year uh, in a neighboring country that we thought would be interesting to visit. Uh, mm-hmm. so I, about six months ago we did a, a little tour of like, Greece, Bulgaria, Romania, and that region. Uh, There's not a specific schedule that we have. It just sort of, one of the the things about both of us working online and being reasonably established at this point is it gives us that freedom to not take a project on or to take a project on or to put a project off for a little while when we want a break. Uh, So we've Mm -hmm. intentionally, this this obviously isn't something that happens overnight. I mean, it took us six years to get to this point where we are today. Um, But we very intentionally built our lifestyles uh, from the start saying, what do we want this to look like? And then asking ourselves the question, well, how do we get there? How do we get there? What's the next step? What's missing here? Uh, whether it's with banking or with um, different, the different logistics of living in a place or traveling from place to place or whatever it happens mm. to be work-life balance, uh, having ho- interesting hobbies in a location, make sure we have strong uh, social ties, friends that we actually hang out with in each place that i found was absolutely critical. Uh, But yeah, it just sort of, it's sort of come together over the last couple of years. And and now things are are pretty wonderful in that regard.
0: And it sounds it. And I love your clarity about, you know, these are the things that you want to have in each place as support, as learning experiences, as, you know, a way to grow. Um, How has it molded your business? Because a lot of people talk about having you know, the, this lifestyle business where you can go and do and be anything. And yet a lot of entrepreneurs struggle.
1: Right. Okay. So, and that's, that's a really good point. And my, I think my best answer in terms of how it's affected my business, I'll actually sort of flip this around and, and give all the listeners like the question that I ask myself. And that question is how much is enough? Whether it's how much money or how much travel or how much whatever it is. And that's a question that there's no one answer. Your answer is going to change. But if you constantly ask yourself that, then like I I realized for myself a couple of years ago that I don't want to work sixty a 60-hour 60 week ever again. Now, mm-hmm. I end up doing it here and there. But if it's once or twice a year, I can handle that. Whereas uh, a couple of years ago, I was getting burnt out because I was doing it constantly. And it'd be like fluctuating from 60 to 80 and back to 60 and back to 80 and stuff like that. Uh, so asking myself, myself, well, how much is enough in terms of hours behind the computer, or hours talking on consulting calls, or hours doing whatever, and starting from that end goal, because there are hundreds, if not thousands, of ways to build a successful business, and there are thousands of industries or hundreds of industries out there, thousands of types of clients that you can get. But if you don't start with—it's cliche, but it's true—if you don't start with the end in mind, then at best. You're going If you build something that you actually love to operate, then you've done it by chance, almost randomly. Whereas if you define that from the start, from the get-go, as mm-hmm. we have to the extent that we can, we're still learning, we're still improving this whole process and saying, well, that last month, there were some things that just didn't go well uh, that last month. Like I was, it, whatever it was, whether we didn't talk to anybody or uh, we chose a place that was cold and gray and whatever the, the – climate just wasn't what we were looking for, whatever that happens to be, right? So we're always learning, but coming back to that question, how much is enough and what do we actually want this to look like? So in terms of how it's affected my business, um, I'm working much fewer hours than I was two years ago, three years ago. My health mm-hmm. is much better because I'm taking better care of myself. I'm taking better care of myself. I'm actually providing more value to my clients because instead of pounding out words, 60 hours a week, which is obviously valuable, but it's still sort of a commodity product in some sense. Uh, I'm spending more time learning, like I'm doing way more reading than I was uh, talking to people that have skill sets that I want to learn or or learn from or mastermind with or anything like this. So by freeing my time, uh, it's only made me more valuable, not less valuable, even though initially it's like, oh, I'm backing off from the physical production of stuff. Uh, Ultimately, I think we entrepreneurs, we're getting paid for the work we do with our mind. We just mm-hmm. so happen to be technicians a lot of the time because things need to get done. Um, right. So I don't know if I totally answered your question, but that's my answer to your question in terms of how it affected my business.
0: Well, I think it's, you know, it kind of piggybacks with how you're traveling in that um, you really stepped into the clarity piece of what do I want to look like. And what's going to best serve me and my clients?
1: Yeah, I have, I have a lot more clarity than I had even six months ago. And actually, that's another wonderful thing about this, how much is enough question. You, sort of, you can create space for yourself. And this is a bit of an aside, but I think something that's critically important. One of the things that I've done that's really helped is defining for myself when I'm going to use my phone, when I'm going to be on social media, when I'm going to check my email and not create distractions for myself. I know for myself, and I think this is uh, probably true for, for most people, is that we'll fill all the free time that exists unless we're very intentional about creating space for ourselves. And that creating that space has helped me get that clarity. You don't get it, or I wouldn't have got it if I was still in this loop of watching YouTube video after YouTube video uh, in the evening because I was tired or whatever. Right, uh, right. By forcing myself to create that space, and I was like, oh, now I know exactly what clients I'm looking for. I know exactly who I want to partner with. I know exactly what people, uh, what skill sets or uh, people I want to help me in my business. So I'm not doing all the pieces that I'm not good at, like all the tech stuff. Uh, there's mm-hmm. no reason for me to ever t- touch any piece of technology unless I want to break something. So, so even things <laughs> like that, it's it <laughs> helped. It helped immensely. Right. That being right. Right.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, it's one of the things I teach and am still in the practice of of mastering is filling that time like and really setting boundaries of the distractions of of social media or notifications, text messages, the phone calls, everything, so that I can get the work that I want to done and done in the time that should take and not just fill it all up. So I, I think having that awareness is huge.
1: Exactly. And I'm certainly not a master of it yet, but I think all of us can, can improve by being intentional about it and realizing that w- we need to own our attention if we really want to provide value to our marketplace. Because there are so many other things demanding it and, and asking for it and trying to distract us. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to, as you said, set boundaries. That's absolutely critical.
0: Yeah. So when you took this leap to, to, um, to travel, what did that look like? You know, and is it something that you would, would recommend to other people? Like, I presume you had to like sell your stuff and you don't have, um, you know, a a place in the States or or Canada that is, and I'm air quoting if anybody could see me, but like your home (laughs) where, you know, you're still renting or paying a mortgage or anything like that.
1: That's correct. So I, (laughs) uh, I did. I sold all my stuff that didn't fit into a backpack and I okay. bought a one-way ticket to France and I was like, I'm going to figure this thing out. <laughs> I had no plans. I had no, at this time I was single. So, uh, I, I met my wife actually just several, my now wife several months later, uh, while okay. traveling and <laughs> we've been together ever since. So it was something like four, uh, half a year in or something like this. But literally I was just like, I can either, this was at a time. So, so again, i Just gotten out of university, injured my arm, didn't have a job. Is like, okay, there are all these entry-level positions that I could take. And that was really depressing to look at. I was like, I don't want to do any of these things. Not just because of the money. Like, there are things that don't inspire me at all. Obviously, flipping burgers, but even stuff like working at, I don't know, like an outdoor store or something like this. I love that sort of stuff, but I don't want to be the person selling that. I didn't want to be the sort of person selling that stuff. So I was like, screw this. I'm going to figure out this online thing sold all my stuff. I had probably like two, two and a half grand saved in the bank after I bought the plane ticket. And I just went and I absolutely would not recommend that to anyone. I'd recommend being (laughs) a little bit more responsible. Um, Because frankly, that probably cost me a year, a year and a half, maybe two years of struggle that I didn't need to go through. Um, I think if I had uh, maybe interned with a business that I, I was inspired by, or th- I think there were a lot of other ways to learn the skills that I learned without mm-hmm. all the hassle of how am I going to feed myself today <laughs> right? that's not a, that's not I know some people some people thrive and sink and swim I don't have the temperament for it. I threw myself into it, but I realized that that's not the way that I thrive. I actually thrive when I'm more aspirational and have this big vision of something that I want to create in the world and I and i go towards that so i think for my general advice obviously if your temperament's are different you might have to adjust this for yourself but i think for most people like figure out what the heck you really want to build what you really want to create and then find people who are two three five ten steps ahead of you and mentor with them or intern at their company like when i started to work with neil patel the way i got into that role was i sent him an email and said hey, I'm learning a lot from you. I'd love to learn even more. Can I work for you for free in order to upgrade my skill set, essentially? I I was very fortunate in that he chose to pay me from the start, but he didn't have to. And I would have very happily taken that role because he knew so much stuff that I wanted to learn. So um, that's going off on a bit of a tangent, but in terms of, yeah, I sold myself, bought a plane ticket, Got out of there. That's that's the short version.
0: And you're not recommending anybody do that. <laughs> I guess. No, no, no. Or have not. a bigger safety net. I I think that
1: everyone should probably go visit a place that they that they think that they wouldn't like to visit. Now I'm not talking about a war zone. I'm not talking about somewhere dangerous. But I'm talking about somewhere where your first impression is one is of a place that like oh, I wouldn't really like that. Like a lot of people have have preconceived notions well, about a lot of countries. But uh, great examples in my life would be of Russia and of China. And now I've lived mm-hmm. for almost a year in both of those countries. I see them completely different than I did before because all we see from our media is a very certain spin, a very certain angle. We right. don't really know what life is, is like on the ground. And being able to interact with actual people and not just see the politicians or business people or, or whoever right. the media chooses to portray, I think that's one of the most valuable things you can do just as a mind-opening exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, to say nothing of all the interesting people you can meet and experiences you can have.
0: Do you think from a leadership perspective, that's been your biggest learning experience?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know of anything that I could put ahead of it. So I'll, I'll put it <laughs> that way, like being able to see how people do not just do business, but are, are leaders. Cause it can be in a, in a political field or in a, uh, a charitable field or a business field or just the the leadership in the home, because like when when we were in my wife and I were in Thailand, uh, we got invited into the home of a Thai soldier, and there was his wife there, and I think a couple of kids there. And we just we hadn't planned on doing this, but we ended up spending I think four or five days in their home. They took us to local markets. They they showed us all sorts of interesting things. We spoke through Google Translate. <laughs> like, they didn't speak a mm-hmm. lick of English. We didn't speak any Thai uh, other than couple numbers and so to be able to see how obviously a Thai soldier has a very certain way of conducting himself in the world and not it's not just the uniform that commands respect but the way he communicates with someone and and it's really interesting because as as you of course know uh, words are only a very tiny part of communication you have all the body Mm -hmm. language and being able to see how this foreign culture these, these people interacted with each other and how we were able to interact with them and create something that truly felt like friendship even though we didn't speak the same language or we didn't have the same background and pretty much nothing was the same right <laughs> in right any of our lives uh very very interesting stuff and I could could tell stories about uh sort of this this area of eastern Europe and, and Russia and China of the same sort of thing happening over and over and over again and and seeing how people lead, seeing how people conduct themselves, seeing how people inspire, uh, okay. and and how it's how there are similar elements sort of in, at, the, at the foundation of human psychology, and there are very different elements in terms of how people perceive time and perceive responsibility and all these other factors that can make or break an attempt at communication or inspiration or whatever it is.
0: It makes me want to go like sell all my stuff and. <laughs> <laughs> And and just check it out. I mean, part of my, my youngest guy just graduated from high school this past June. So um, over the next couple of years, my goal is to be able to travel more. Um, just hearing you share your story is like, yes, this is the the thing to do. Because I agree with you. I think the media, the news, all of it's very filtered. Um, and depending on you know where you are politically, you're hearing one version over another. And until you're really in other countries and hearing other people's stories and what's going on for them, um, it, I think it's harder to make really knowledgeable decisions about any aspect of what the world looks like. I,
1: I absolutely agree with you on
0: that point. Yeah. And it's really, for, to me,
1: it's been really humbling, having, like, growing up in a, a relatively middle class and, and well educated family and having all these advantages and sort of having this this almost intuitive perception of maybe not superiority but some sense of our way is the right way and then going right. to all these other countries and seeing all the different ways that people successfully survive and thrive and and build meaningful relationships and build meaningful uh, projects and 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 all of that without using the same tools that I believed were best or most effective, mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is, uh, absolutely eye-opening. And it 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 was yeah, it was very humbling. Sometimes it's extremely difficult, like trying to trying to um, communicate with and integrate with the Chinese, for example. That was really hard. I can't say I was very successful at it, and I really feel like I don't understand that culture nearly as well as well, of course, but. But there is so much more and is so much more to learn from those that group of people and how they see things and how they do things mm-hmm. that in in the nine or ten months we were there barely scratched the surface. But that could be said for, I think, almost any culture in the world. Theirs just happens yeah. to be very bright and obviously different, and and there's something to that.
0: And how do you take all of your experiences and – like the knowledge that you have now of different places, and use that in your business to help um, clients build their businesses.
1: That's that's a really good question, and admittedly, I don't have like a codified process or system at this point. There are right. there are certain things. So there are a couple different categories that I look at, and one of the big ones is the biggest one is communication and how we communicate. Because as an entrepreneur, we're generally, generally, of course, very optimistic, we're very open to possibility, we're, we're often overestimating the value that our prospective clients are going to put on the thing that we sell. Generally, people are mm-hmm. much more pessimistic and pain avoidant, and so on and so on. And, and most right. of us know this intellectually but we haven't right. fully internalized it. So whether we're writing it's in our email communication or our sales pages or sales presentations, whatever it is, uh, I think probably the most valuable single thing of having met people from all these different cultures and being not forced, but encouraged to try to see the world from their point of view is making mm-hmm. that a habit, really. And, and that's really the most important thing. And then not just making it a habit, but seeing these stark contrasts. Because speaking to another Canadian or to an American there's a ton of cultural overlap, even if there are a lot of different particulars, right? right. But when you're speaking to someone from the Middle East or China or, or whatever it happens to be, Southeast Asia, Russia, the, the gaps can be so great in terms of how people communicate that you really have to take a step back and, and almost treat it as if you're speaking a different language. And that's what I, probably the single most important thing that I've translated to copywriting working with other businesses etc it's like Mm -hmm. approaching your approaching communication with your clients as if they speak a different language than they do than than you do Mm -hmm. and therefore having to put yourself in their shoes and walk not just a mile but hundreds of miles in their shoes like to to learn their language and not just uh, to to a deeper extent than like some of the, the tactics, like go out and read Amazon reviews of your competitors' products and, and use their language. It's like, okay, that's, that's not a bad tactic to start with, but it's not, as, it, it's not giving you the same level of understanding as going really deep into the actual psychology of that person. So I think that's probably the, the most important thing, if I had to pick one thing.
0: I, I think that's amazing. And so useful for anybody who's you know, trying to grow their business when they're they're starting to think about it from that context.
1: Yeah, I, I think that for anyone looking to communicate more effectively with their clients, if you throw away the idea that you're both speaking English or you're both both speaking whatever language it is uh, you're operating in, and okay. treat that treat the client as if they're speaking a foreign language and you're you're translating. So when they're saying something, it's often not. It, doesn't, it often doesn't mean what you think it means. So that, that I think is, is extremely valuable.
0: Yeah, it is, it is. And again, something that I share with my clients too, because a lot of times the objections that come up aren't really the objections. It's, you've got to dig underneath that to get to what's really the pain point or the problem or what's upsetting them to help them move forward.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I'll just give a quick example of this, because um, I know I'm speaking at a, a bit of a high, high level here and maybe right. can contextualize this. So an experience that almost all of us have had, right, is uh, when men and women communicate with each other, right, especially in romantic relationships. <laughs> right, It yeah. often doesn't feel like we're speaking the same language, right? It's like the classic is anything wrong, honey? No, nothing's wrong. Is something actually wrong? You have to go deeper than that initial than that initial response, no, nothing's wrong. And right. yes, that's a cliche example, but that's something that we've that almost everyone has dealt with, right? That's like a human right. universal is that <laughs> inter intergender or intersex communication. Uh, and it's like, oh yeah, we're we're all using the same base of however many words but we're not necessarily speaking the same language with those words and we have to absolutely go deeper. Um, so, so to that point, the traveling that we've done and, and the people that we've met has certainly also helped, uh, helped on the relationship front and being able to communicate with my wife in that regard. So that's another side benefit from, from all of this.
0: There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, I'm laughing. Cause it's like, I know women women particularly, when you ask that question, um, you know, how is it? Or, Are you okay? They're like, I'm fine. And the fine is never <laughs> <Yeah>. fine.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but then I, it's like, what do you do with that? Even if you know that, like from the, from the male's perspective, it's like, I know that, but I don't necessarily know what to do with that. Right. So there's, right. there's always so much to learn. And this is really a sort of, bring this, I guess, full circle to, to how I got into uh, copywriting and direct response copywriting specifically. It was my love for how do people communicate with each other? How mm-hmm. do they inspire people to action, And how do they um, convince each other of something, whatever it is they believe? Uh, that, uh, that's sort of the, the theme that I think has, has permeated, well, this entire conversation, but my entire story up to date because that's that's absolutely my my biggest love and biggest interest and i'm lucky that i get to do work with that every single day
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and i i love everything that you shared i think it's so relevant and important particularly i think as we're moving into more of a place where people really want to connect and have relationships and Understanding that, you know, the top level conversation isn't always what's really going on, regardless of language or where you're at too, and and being open to discovering that in a way that's you know positive and and helpful.
1: Absolutely. Like I, I was I was listening to I think it was their their most recent episode and so uh you actually probably know know the stats more than I did, but there was Something very interesting that you were talking about in terms of that uh, the desire to connect with people. It seems like with, and I think we've all seen the statistics about social media actually making people more lonely and how it's especially mm-hmm. bad amongst teenagers. And we don't most something like most American men don't have a single close friends that they could go to in an emergency. All sorts of things like this, right? So I I completely agree with you in terms of that that personal connection, that personal touch, that that deep desire to interact with other human beings and not just the bland exterior of faceless company.
0: Right. Right. I mean, and social media is great. And for me it's been a great place one to grow my business with too. Cause I moved around a lot as a kid, I've been able to reconnect with some of my high school friends in a way I never would have been able to without it. And it's also such a time suck. Uh, for so many people and having that in-person uh, connection is I think so valuable now it so is. for everybody listening yeah I going as I could say go for everybody listening go go call somebody on the phone <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly I was going to say this is, this is why I absolutely love this sort of format because we get to have mm-hmm. a, a conversation for half hour or, or an hour or whatever it is and yeah and actually hear someone's voice and, and the intonation in their voice and, and uh, the excitement in their voice and all those other, all those other things that you don't get in a, in a text medium and you don't get, you don't really get on social media, which is more of a, yeah, you can have conversations and people can comment on stuff, but it's more of a one-way communication medium. And I absolutely love the podcast format for exactly this reason. Yeah,
0: I do too. I do too. So um, I'm curious. I know you have a two llama club, and I would love to know one a little bit more about it. Um, but two, the what's the llama? How did you choose llama?
1: Oh yeah, sure. So as hopefully everyone listening to this knows, Russell Brunson has his two comma club, right? Mm-hmm. So it was literally at one point just a joke that I came up with in my Facebook group. And uh-huh. it was something like, oh, I should come up with a, a membership. Called the Two llama Club or something. I don't remember what the exact post was, but it was a joke that people were like, "Yeah, that's a great idea." So it was like, "Okay," I whipped together an offer, showed it to people. Some people bought it, and it was just now at that point it was too late. So I was like, why the <laughs> heck not? I, I think it's funny. <laughs> it is funny when you laugh. Going, I'm not going to the mass market with it. I mean, I don't have anything to prove. I'm not trying to. Um, to impress people with my ability to name stuff. This is for you know my inner circle of friends. There's there's a 30 person limit to the group because it's it's sort of like this format where we get on uh, a call every Friday and we jam on whatever the, the interesting and relevant marketing situations or business situations are. I solve problems on those calls. Uh, that's the, that's the sort of the core thing that happens. And the reason I created it is because I wanted to have those interactions, uh, with, Mm -hmm. with my friends, with my marketing friends, with my business friends. Um, and it really is, it's a small community of people who want to have those conversations and want to have them often. Um, in terms of the other value in that group, it's, it's literally the only thing I sell that's not a high ticket service. So it's like, if someone wants access to my knowledge base. Basically, the the short story is all the materials that I built out to run a performance-based marketing agency, meaning they damn well better work because if they don't, I'm not getting paid and I'm often paying employees out of pocket to start a project. So mm-hmm. the materials in there, I think, are pretty darn effective. And it goes everything from uh, like I have my cold sold email outreach process, um, outreach and and. Uh, so cold email plus outreach that you can do on Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever your favorite pipeline filling uh, platform is, to webinar frameworks, sales page frameworks, all the different copywriting stuff I've done over the years. The point is, if it's a resource that I have, I put it in the club. So obviously, I can't can't go into all the nitty gritty details there, but essentially, it's uh, my. I guess you could call it my lifetime of work. Again, it's the only thing I sell. So if I create a new resource, it goes in there. Everyone gets everything. There's no um, limits. Everything gets, everything is available from day one.
0: If somebody wanted to, um, to join, how can they find it?
1: Right. So if someone wants to join, um, there's, it's sort of a a multi-step process. So one, they can go to my website, which is crushingconversion.com and get onto the email list there. I do Mm -hmm. have a, 30 day mandatory waiting period before someone joins that group because I want to make sure that I'm getting the right sort of people in there. It's not super expensive. Uh, It's not like one of these $25,000 per year masterminds. It's literally a community where I'm hanging out with my friends and solving their business problems. So I don't think that someone who's just listened to a podcast and listened to me for 40 minutes should be like, yes, I absolutely want in the two llama club. No, you don't know me yet. So, so <laughs> get on the list, figure out if I'm actually the sort of person you want to listen to. And then in, after 30 days of interacting, if, if you think it's cool, great. <laughs> uh, we can talk about, talk about you joining. And if not, then also totally fine. Uh, so that's the way I'm running this. Because I, again, I, I make my money from my performance-based agency. This is just something that I'm doing. Well, obviously the extra income is nice, but it's really about the social aspect for me. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's why I have it set up the way I have it set up. But crushingconversion.com is the way to take the first step if someone's interested. In
0: okay. That. You know what? I really like that. And I, I like that's such a different approach to you know, creating massive value and making people or having people wait for 30 days so that they you can both kind of see. Like you know, is this really a good fit instead of the sign up now, sign up now, and then you're wondering on the back end
1: yeah absolutely and and really, if you think about it from a long term perspective, this is my belief anyway, I don't have data to prove this but but no. I believe it to be true, and that is it's in your own best interest as a business owner to to have someone wait because none of us want to none of us want to be in a situation where a client is upset, or you have to give refunds, or you have to do any of this sort of damage control, right? Like that's right. that's not good for the client, that's not good for you, that's not good for anyone. Uh, I want to like we all want to. If we join a program, we want to be blown away, we want to be wowed, we want to feel like the the money that we invested into that program it was obviously worth it, and we do it again, and we refer all, refer all our friends, right? That's the ideal situation uh, from the side of a business owner. Same sort of thing. We want the people who are going to feel that way to come into our programs and not the people mm-hmm. who are just in a situation that it might be the stuff they need, but it might not be the right time. The economics might not might not be right at this time. It, there could be any number of reasons. So like I've had people I, I started this about half a year ago. I had people that were interested in it from day one and they joined like five months later because now finally the timing was right. So so right. if someone can take away from that for their business and and have that perspective of it's not necessarily bad to delay a potential sale if you're doing it strategically for the right reasons. And you're doing it to serve people better and to serve yourself better ultimately because that's you really need both.
0: Well, I really appreciate that. And I encourage anybody uh, who has gotten value from, from our conversation to definitely check out your website, get on your list. And that's crushingconversion.com, right? I remembered it correctly.
1: That's correct,
0: yeah. Awesome. And we'll get the sh- the link in the show notes too. So people can just link up with it easily. So I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story because this has been incredible. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to know you. And I, I love that you sold everything and figured it out and and that you're, you're really traveling the way you want to.
1: Thank you so much. I mean, this was honestly, probably, the most enjoyable hour of my week. So thank you for making that possible. Um, I'm, I absolutely hope that, that people found the last uh, 50 minutes or so valuable. And I'd love to speak to anyone who, who wants to continue the conversation. So thank you, Emmy for, for setting this up and making it all possible.
0: Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. We'll have to have you come back on you know, in a few months and share another story. <laughs> It'd be my pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Probably
1: have to turn the tables at some point too.
0: That would be fantastic. Fantastic. So everybody who's listening, we will chat with you next week. As an entrepreneur, do you ever feel isolated, like you're just grinding away and not getting to the place or reaching the goals that you want? Maybe you've realized that you just spent days, weeks, or even months trying to accomplish something only to figure out that the answer that you have would have saved you all of that time. I you know I've had that experience, and my clients have as well. And that's why I created the Tribe of Leaders Biz School. Get the accountability, the training, and the knowledge base in a community of like minded people who are there to support you. Go ahead and check it out. It's thetribeofleaders.com.